The text for this morning's service is from John 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. After the proclamation of God's word, we will sing together from hymn 14, stanzas 1, 9, and 10. Blood congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. Last week I heard on the radio that a Muslim gentleman here in Edmonton <clears throat> went door to door with a pamphlet explaining to anyone who would listen that Islam is a religion of peace. He did this in response to the recent news that the terrorist Osama bin Laden had been killed by the Americans. He was ashamed of those who used the religion of Islam to promote hatred and bloodshed and wanted to forestall any negative reaction against Muslims. In that pamphlet, he explains that Islam is basically a religion of peace and that the vast majority of Muslims are against terrorism. They want to live peaceably with their neighbors. No doubt he is right. Isn't that what everybody wants, to be at peace? But what is peace? What do you think of when you think of peace? When we think of peace, we usually think of the condition in which there is nothing that disturbs you. When everything goes your way, peace is the state of tranquility, of absolute well-being. You have peace when everything runs smoothly, when there are no obstacles in your way, and when everything is in good order. Of course, everybody wants that. That is also what the disciples of the Lord Jesus wanted. They had had quite a week. It had been far from peaceful. They are in a state of shock, for they just experienced the dark side of the world. Only a few days ago, their beloved rabbi, their lord and master, had been executed in a most horrible way. First, they humiliated and ridiculed him. They derided him as a failure, as an outcast. They horribly abused him and treated him like a piece of dirt. And finally, they hung him on a cross like a common criminal. They discarded discarded him like yesterday's garbage. That is not the way they expected it to end. 
On the contrary, when they became disciples of the Lord Jesus, they fully believed that he was sent by God to bring peace on earth. They believed that he was going to reestablish the kingdom of God on earth, and instead his mission came to a humiliating end. They could accept the fact that the Romans did not want him, nobody else in Israel did, and even that the leaders of Israel, the Pharisees and the scribes, did not want him either. But the vast majority of their brothers and sisters, their Jewish brothers and sisters, how is it possible that they all rejected him? They all wanted him out of the way, wanting nothing to do with him anymore. They even wanted him dead. And so that is also what happened. And now they're afraid. They are afraid for their own lives. They are afraid. And now they are huddled together in a locked room. They are bewildered. They are confused. They're scared. But then, out of nowhere, the Lord Jesus appears to them. The locked doors could not keep him away. Nothing could keep him away at this point. And then he comes with the most wonderful words you can imagine. He says to them, peace be with you, shalom. They do not grasp right away the significance of these words. It is, it appears at first sight, a normal greeting. For that is how the Jews normally greet each other. And yet, as we will see from the text, brothers and sisters, these words are the most profound words that have ever been spoken. And that's what I will preach to you about this morning. I have summarized the text as follows. The risen Lord announces true peace for all time. And then we will see that this peace comes in the first place with great joy from the Lord Jesus. Secondly, with a commission from the God the Father. And finally, with new life from the Holy Spirit. As I said, the last few days have been quite tumultuous for the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Their great hopes and aspirations have been dashed. To them, it appeared that everything has fallen apart. When they first followed the Lord Jesus, they had great hopes for the tiny nation of Israel and for their place within it. They thought that Jesus had come from God in heaven to establish Israel as the greatest nation on earth. They believed that the Lord Jesus would inaugurate a kingdom that would be greater even than during the days of David and Solomon. But now their hopes and their aspirations were totally dashed to pieces, broken and shattered like a mirror fallen to the ground. How can Jesus now accomplish anything anymore? He is dead and he is buried. He is gone. Now what? And that is why they are together there in that room. They needed to talk things over. They had to try to make sense of it all. They had heard some rumors about the Lord Jesus that his body was no longer in the grave. And that some of them had even seen him in the flesh. But as we know from Luke 24, verse 11, they dismissed that report as nonsense. They just didn't believe it. It couldn't be true. But then suddenly the Lord Jesus stands among them and gives them his greeting of peace. Their first thought was, 
according to Luke 24, verse 37, that they were seeing a ghost. They were startled and frightened. And so, what does the Lord Jesus do? He gives them the proof that they need it. He showed them his hands and his side. And only then did they believe. And it is also then that they are overjoyed. But why were they overjoyed? They were overjoyed because the Lord Jesus was back with them again. They had him right there with them again. It's a miracle. Perhaps his mission wasn't a failure after all. Now he can still establish God's kingdom on earth. And so they still did not really grasp what had happened. And therefore, before the Lord Jesus would ascend into heaven, he still had quite some work to do with them in order to make them understand. And for that reason, he repeats his message of peace. For once again, the Lord Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. He says it for a second time. He repeats it because it is more than just a greeting. It is to make them realize that he came to earth in order to establish peace. He came to earth in order to establish the peace of paradise. Already in Isaiah 9 verse 6, the Messiah is called the Prince of Peace. The disciples had to know that that is he. They also had to know what that implies. The Lord Jesus is the only one who could come with his message of true peace. And that was true, especially now. Because now he stands before them as the risen Lord. He stands before them as the one who has conquered sin and evil, who has conquered Satan himself. It was Satan who sowed discord in paradise. Because of him there was war instead of peace. Oh sure, he promised peace to Adam and Eve, for he told them that they could be like God. That would certainly increase their well-being. They listened to him. And so, in so doing, they gained the opposite. Instead, they threw away the peace that existed between God and them at that time, and between themselves. From then on in, instead of peace, there was war. Instead of life, there was death. Instead of well-being, there was pain. Instead of security, there was insecurity. Instead of order, there was disorder. Instead of hope, there was despair. And listen to what the Lord God told them after their rebellion. He told Adam that from now on the ground would be cursed because of him. It will produce thorns and thistles. He will eat his food by the sweat of his brow. And he said to Eve that her earthly existence will be full of pain and sorrow. Brothers and sisters, there is no peace on earth because of sin. And it is for that reason that the Lord Jesus came. He came to reestablish peace. And the only way that he could do that was by dying to sin. By nailing it on the cross. By giving his precious life for it. When he greets his disciples with this message of peace, then he announces to them that sin has been dealt with. Once for all. He has undone the damage that has been done through 
his blood on the cross, he has established peace on earth. And through faith, they too can have that peace. Brothers and sisters, that is why we begin each worship service by proclaiming God's peace, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize how wonderful that proclamation is? It is based on the substitutionary act of the Son of God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead. It is done on the basis of what he has done on Golgotha and on the fact that he rose again on the third day. Through him, life is possible. And that is why that message of peace has to go out through the, throughout the whole world. And for that reason, the Lord Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The Lord Jesus represented the Father in heaven, and now they may do the same. They, just like the Lord Jesus himself, now receive their commission from the Father. We come to the second point. The Lord Jesus wants them to realize that his work on earth is now finished. And now they have to carry on what he was doing. They have to be instruments in God's hands to establish God's kingdom of peace on earth. That is not done by the sword. That is not done in any physical way. God's kingdom does not have any earthly boundaries. God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and it is established through the preaching of the gospel. And that is what the disciples now have to do. They have to proclaim the fact that the Lord Jesus has dealt with sin once for all. And that is why they had to be eyewitnesses. They had to see the risen Lord with their own eyes. There could be no lingering doubt that he rose from the dead and that he conquered death and the realm of the dead, including the prince of death, Satan himself. At this point, their circle is not yet complete. Thomas is not among them. But the Lord Jesus will remedy that situation soon. In the meantime, the Lord Jesus prepares them for the beautiful task ahead, which is the proclamation of the gospel of peace. The proclamation that there is no peace without the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater message than that. There is no better news in the world than that. And there is no religion in the world that can come with such a wonderful message of peace. The Muslims certainly can't. Oh, sure, they also have a prophet, the prophet Muhammad. He supposedly comes with a message of peace. But did he die for the sins of the people? Is his grave empty? Did he rise from the dead? No, he was just a man. He had no power. He certainly did not have the power to grant peace. As I said, peace on earth can come can only come about if you deal with sin. Totally deal with it. Totally do away with it. The Lord Jesus says to his disciples, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He gives them that authority, that commission. But they can only do it on the basis of what Christ has done. They do not have that authority from themselves, but they have it from God alone. 
And they can only forgive sins if God has already forgiven them. And they only have the right of, right of the proclamation of what God himself has determined. Such forgiveness is something so wonderful and unique that the human mind cannot truly grasp it. It is out of reach. Think about it, brothers and sisters. Unregenerate mankind only knows retribution. Pagans picture the gods with human qualities such as jealousy, spite, and vengeance. For man cannot grasp the idea of a free and gracious forgiveness. When the gods were insulted, they became angry and had to be appeased by human prayers and gifts. And that is because man knows how terribly difficult true and complete forgiveness is and how it can only be granted after a serious struggle with oneself. Especially when the sin committed against you has been so bad that you have to really struggle in order to deal with the consequences and the pains of that sin. In such cases, forgiveness is virtually impossible. It is virtually impossible to forgive when your good name and your honor or your office and your dignity have been publicly assaulted. That you are not prepared to forgive merely on the basis of a private apology and confession. That is what it is like for us as human beings. And therefore, all human religions are religions of retribution. That, for example, is the case with the religion of Islam and also with the religion of Buddhism. The Buddhists have such a strong sense of justice that they try to explain the inequality among people because of what they have done in a previous life. They believe that your present life determines your future destiny. Those who do good in this life are reborn to a more blessed life. And those who lead worse lives are degraded to a lower level and receive the form of an animal or of some other wretched creature. Just as the law of gravity prevails in nature, so in the moral world the unbreakable law of karma prevails. There is no forgiveness in such a system. There is only retribution. You get what you have, you get what you have paid for. And that is what you find in all the religions of today, including the religion of atheism, which is so rampant today. Oh, sure, you may regret having committed some sinful act, but you always have to deal with the consequences. That is our human experience. Modern man believes that what has happened can never be undone. And so forgiveness as such is impossible. You cannot undo the damage that has been done. The consequences of your sin and of what has gone wrong will always be there. And so the only way that you can understand forgiveness is through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The forgiveness that we find in the Bible is based on the gracious disposition of God. It is based on his love. It is only because of his love that sin and the consequences of sin can be done away with, totally done away with. Our minds can hardly grasp it. 
It is extremely difficult for us to understand that because that is not part of our experience. And yet, brothers and sisters, that is what the Bible tells us. And that is the message that the apostles may proclaim. The Lord Jesus sends them out so that they can come with that message of peace, with that message of true restoration, with that totally unique message of the Bible. But don't think that he only sends his disciples. He also sends you and me. He places you within your families and within the communion of saints and within your circle of neighbors and friends to proclaim that message of peace in word and deed. And if you can only do that, if you, you can only do that if you have appropriated that message for yourself in the first place. Your sins are forgiven in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what a profound message that is? Do you realize how privileged you are that God has revealed that to you through his Son? Because of him, sin and the consequences of sin have been done away with. That is the message of peace. And if you believe in him, then that is also true for you and for all those who want to accept that message that you do not have to be full of despair because of what has happened in the past. As a believer, you are full of hope, for you know that through the Lord Jesus Christ, restoration is possible. Through him, all things can become new again. Because of him, there is hope, there is renewal. The Lord Jesus symbolizes that with his actions and his words. For we read that the Lord Jesus breathed on the disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. In so doing, he gives them new life. We come to our last point. His breath is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. For it is God's breath that gives life. The fact that he breathes on them has great significance. Think about the beginning of creation. How did Adam receive life? Well, we read in Genesis 2 verse 7 that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. God's breath gives life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life, eternal life even. He gives it to all those who believe. It is through the Holy Spirit that you are equipped for your task. After this, the apostles could go out into the world and bear witness to the establishment of peace on earth through the Son of God. And what an effective message that was. People from all over the world came to faith. God's word was brought to the four corners of the world. And look what impact that wonderful message of peace has made over the ages. Today there are believers all over the world. You find them everywhere. And the gospel has also come to you and to me. To us together as God's church. He gives his peace to each and every one of us. His breath symbolizes his word. For the word is spoken as you bring out your breath. 
And that word was once again proclaimed to you this morning. And now the risen Lord works in you and me and in this church. The church, when the spirit of the risen Christ lives and works, is a church that opens its doors to the world. We do not worship him behind locked doors. We may not keep that message to ourselves. When the Lord Jesus came into that room on that first Easter Sunday, he unlocked our hearts and the minds of the apostles. He came with a message of peace. He came with a message that everything can and will be new again. That sin and the consequences of sin will be totally done away with. That is the promise that he gives. He has established peace on earth. And so he says, peace be with you. He says that to you and to me today as well. And so take that message of peace with you today. Take it with you next week as you deal with the many challenges that life can bring. Take it with you throughout your whole life into eternity. Amen. Thank you.